Please listen carefully. Hello and welcome to the Film Revere Podcast, episode number 10. This week brought to you by the Film Revere Patreon page and Audible. I'm your host, Zach Hamilton. Our guest for today's episode is 12 Strong actor Austin Hebert. But first, let's get into some industry news. War Dogs director Todd Phillips is said to have Joaquin Phoenix on his shortlist to play the Joker in his upcoming untitled Joker project with Warner Brothers. This will mark the first of many titles to release outside of the DC Universe and be under a new DC banner that would give the studio the opportunity to expand the canon of comic book characters with unique story angles that aren't included in the current cinematic universe. Magnolia Pictures has acquired the North American rights to director Kevin Kerslake's Joan Jett documentary, Bad Reputation, which premiered last month at the Sundance Film Festival. The studio is planning a 2018 theatrical release for the film. Marvel Studios brought together 80 of its stars and filmmakers for one picture in honor of its 10-year anniversary. Disney also released a video showing a behind-the-scenes look at the photo shoot. When asked about the shoot, Don Cheadle, who plays War Machine, said, There was a ton of fanboying and fangirling going on in that room with each other. The photo was used to kick off Marvel's 10-year sweepstakes, which will take place across social media and last from February 8th to March 15th. A winner will be selected each week to receive an Ultimate Marvel Fan Prize package, which includes a visit to the Captain Marvel set and a tour of Marvel Studios. Universal and Legendary will be teaming up on Dwayne Johnson's new action comedy Red Notice. This collaboration was made possible after the two studios won a bidding war for the project. New Line, Paramount, and Warner Brothers were said to have been engaged in the bidding war as well. Production on Red Notice is expected to start next year. The title, according to Variety, refers to a notice issued by Interpol listing persons who are wanted for extradition. Emmy Award-winning actor Reg E. Kathy unfortunately passed away this past Friday. Kathy Guest starred on numerous television shows such as The Wire, Grimm, Law & Order SVU, House of Cars, and the drama Outcast. Netflix released a statement in which they said, We are heartbroken by the passing of our friend and House of Cards colleague Reg E. Kathy. Reg was the kindest man, the most giving actor, a true gentleman. Our sympathy goes to his family. Reg E. Kathy was 59. Lastly, Universal's opening of Fifty Shades Freed has dominated the box office, bringing in a solid $38.8 million at 3,700 North American locations. Fifty Shades Freed also beat out Peter Rabbit, which brought in $25 million. Now on to the trailer drops. The following films released trailers this past week and are all available to see now. Solo, A Star Wars Story, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, Mission Impossible Fallout, Deadpool 2, and rounding out the list of trailer drops this week is Venom. As always, links to all trailers mentioned can be found in the episode description at filmrevered.com. Coming up next, I have an interview where I catch up with Austin Hebert at The Grove in Los Angeles. Austin is a talented actor who has been involved in over 18 projects since the start. He is known for his role as Master Sergeant Pat Essex in the recently released 12 Strong and as Clint in the Sundance Audience Award winner Burden. Austin is also known for his roles in such films as Detroit, Jack Reacher, Never Go Back, The Answer, and the television miniseries Bonnie and Clyde. So stay tuned and we'll be right back.
This week's episode is brought to you by us, the Film Revere Podcast. Are you a fan of the show? Do you want to be involved in the start of a community of film fans? If so, check out our all-new Film Revere Podcast Patreon page at patreon.com slash filmrevered. Here, you will find behind-the-scenes posts about the show, receive early access to guest announcements and episodes. You can also choose a reward, which will have me feature your name in a shout-out at the end of one episode a month. There are so many more rewards to choose from, so please be sure to check out our page at patreon.com slash filmrevered. Once again, that's patreon.com slash filmrevered. All right, guys and gals, are you like me and want something more than music to listen to during your morning commute? Maybe you want to start reading more, but don't have the time to sit down and open a book. Well, for people on the go, there's Audible. Audible offers over 180,000 audiobooks to listen to on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week, Audible is giving Film Revere podcast listeners a slamming deal. Go to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast for a free 30-day trial and more importantly, get a free audiobook. Once again, go to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. That's audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. Thanks again to Audible for their support and thank you listeners. Now back to the show. Well, welcome to the Film Revere Podcast, Austin. Thank you for having me. So to start, I'm sure the listeners would love to know, did you always want to be an actor? Um, I think what had happened was I, I grew up um, in Texas playing sports, and um, and I had done one play because uh, this girl told me she'd go on a date with me in high school hey. if I uh, <laughs> did a play. And so I did it. And then I, I think I had gotten in, gotten in some trouble, and so my dad grounded me and said, "And yeah, when you come out, you need to start thinking about your future." And then I came out and said, uh, "I think what I want to get into is acting." And um, not that not that he was completely thrilled about that decision, <laughs> but um, from then on out, it was uh, never looking back. And so um, I was at seventeen years old, and then I. Then I started looking into acting schools for college and getting trained for theater. Wow. So I guess the real question is, did you get that date since you got grounded pretty much immediately after? Uh, no. It, there was a time period between the play and the date. Oh, okay. Um, the date, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I didn't get, I don't think I got the date, but we did the play together. So I guess it's a long a long date. <laughs> yeah, right. Kind of, kind of a win. Kind yeah, of, a little bit. I can't even really remember. Uh, but you did get a career, though. So there is that. So. I did, yeah. Yeah, I did. I did end up, I did end up doing, okay, after college, um, I had, well, I was going to go to New York and do theater, but then some things had happened in my life that, that convinced me to come out to L.A. I was, a, I was definitely a theater rat first. Mm-hmm. Now, was there a particular show or movie that kind of really sealed the deal on you becoming an actor, even outside <laughs> of the play? Everyone loves to ask that question. Um, I think, I think when I, I think when I had um, got into theater, it just it felt it felt right. I guess growing up with um, well, it's this emotional repressment of living in the South, and then uh, I think I remember seeing. 
seeing what I wanted to do, get into film, was I think I remember seeing the movie Gladiator actually, and I remember like watching the audience more than the movie, and seeing mm-hmm. what it did to the audience. Going, that's kind of what I want to do. And I think I can do that. And so that that kind of spurred the film. But as far as it's inspiration, it's any time that I saw really good acting, it just it, to this day it still just motivates me. That is so awesome. Now, you've had quite the career over the years. This year in particular with the Sundance Audience Award winner Burden and 12 Strong, which opened second in the domestic box office, both of which I would love to get into more detail later in the show. However, before film, you were involved in television and a show a lot of the listeners would be familiar with is the TV miniseries Bonnie and Clyde. Now, you were cast as Deputy Sheriff Ted Hinton, who historically was the youngest member of the posse that gunned down Bonnie and Clyde. How much did you know about Ted Hinton's involvement before being cast? About that character, none. Um, Even though I grew up in Texas, not far from it. So I I didn't know anything about him when I started the project. Yeah, so how did you prepare for the role then? Yeah, um, I always try to prepare as much as I can when I go into... Um, go into a show. I kind of, especially if it's if it's if it's something real, you kind of feel a sense of duty to play that. And it's also just I just dig it. I just love doing as much intellectual research as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've learned over the years is sometimes it that helps and sometimes it hurts. But um, I had went to Louisiana and I found out that there I wanted to go see where the ambush took place. And so me and uh, this other actor, Lane Garrison, who um, is also in the series, um, we got in the car and drove about three and a half hours north of Baton Rouge. because so we were shooting in Baton Rouge, and then I went to the museum and found out that my character's real-life son was running that museum. Wow. And his name is Boots Hinton. So... I sat down with Boots for a good two hours while he uh, smoked on his cigarettes and and hung out with him and kind of did what you're doing to me to him. Yeah, (laughs) right. Well, what a great wealth of uh, resource there, at least of knowledge and information for the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really was. It really was. Um, It was, uh, and I I love meeting, it's the best part of my job is meeting people like that. That is so cool. Now, I'm curious, as a kid, did you ever play cops and robbers? And if so, were you always the cop? I, I don't know. I think it was um, – I grew up in Texas, so it was maybe more cowboys than Indians. Well, that's true. Were you a cowboy <laughs> or an Indian then? I was always a cowboy. Okay. Uh, but if I played cops and robbers, I'd probably be the robber. Yeah, it's always fun to play a villain sometimes too. So yeah, I love it. it. I I don't normally get. Yeah, I do love playing the villain. They're 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 interesting people. Well, that's great. Now, what was it like being involved in a project that took place in the 1930s? Um. Well, I I always get the benefit um, a lot of times because of my mug of playing genre pieces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I always get to explore that time period. Um, so first of all, you get to you get to have um, good costumes and the and the the guns that they used back then, the Tommy guns and things like that. Um, 
that's always cool to put that 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 piece of character on, and it always helps, always always helps play the part. Um, and so I I really got into into searching for the 30s, and mm-hmm. how you know how crime was committed back then. You just if you had a car that drove faster, you win. <laughs> right? Yeah. Totally different game. Yeah. Were there any specific challenges you faced in portraying Ted Hinton? Um, well, I got the benefit of working with William Hurt, who played uh, Frank Hammer, and, and it was kind of my first my first um, bigger bigger project. And so I got to like learn a lot from him. Most of my scenes were with him at the same time challenging work with him because he's um, just such a genius at his craft. Um, so it, when there were challenges, he was always there to help, which was which was really nice to have. As you had mentioned, you know, working, this is one of your first projects. That's a bigger project, if you will. And then working alongside William Hurd. I mean, what was that like? Um, it was, well, it was intimidating at first, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I knew about him before I sort of worked with him. But at the same time, um, I, every project that I get on, I learn from doing the research and from the actors I work with. Um, so he really, it was great. He really took the time to to walk me through things and and I really got to just be a sponge and soak up everything from him and he was he was willing to um, kind of be a mentor through that project. It's so terrific with an actor like William Hurt that he's willing to actually put in the effort and want to do that as well with a younger right. actor. Right. So, well, after Bonnie and Clyde wrapped, you were involved in several other projects such as The Answer and Jack Reacher Never Go Back before landing the role of Warrant Officer Roberts in Catherine Bigelow's critically acclaimed fact-based drama Detroit. Now, the film took place during the 1967 Detroit riots and told the true story of a group of rogue police officers who responded to a complaint with more than justice on their minds. What was it like being involved in yet another fact-based drama? Um, well, I've gotten the the opportunity, uh, oddly enough, to do, I'd say m- most of 80% of my projects are fact-based dramas. Mm-hmm. After Jack Reacher also did this, this movie, it hasn't come out yet with um, Amelia Clark called uh, Above Suspicion. And that was also a fact-based drama. And then I um, had, I, when I was doing that film, I had read for... Read for Detroit, put myself on tape, but they had used dummy sides from In the Heat of the Night. Um, so I had really no idea what the project was about, other than the fact that it was about riots from the 60s. And I was completely unfamiliar with with um, with all of that. And um, so uh, then I had gone to a callback with Catherine. And then I actually, that project was a bit special because I had basically I'd gotten the call one day and I was on set shooting that film in Boston that night oh wow I hadn't I hadn't I didn't know what the movie was about (laughs) (laughs) right yeah exactly so I had um to learn on the fly about researching that but Catherine pretty much used all historical um facts of, of court documents and statements uh, to factualize what happened. So wow. that was that was probably the most true to form 
movie I had done and that there were there weren't many liberties at all taken and that we mm-hmm. there was something we needed to figure out we just go back to the documents and figure out what was said or what had happened yeah I think Detroit's such an interesting film because obviously most people are aware of the 1967 Detroit riots however the fil- the story that Catherine wanted to tell I don't think until that movie was made was as publicized at least at least currently that people would know of now um, right so it's right. an interesting film what was right. it like working with such an extraordinary director like Catherine Bigelow? Um, it's, well, first, pretty humbling because it's Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. Um, she's just such a pioneer in this industry that you, it's just such a, first, you just feel like a privilege uh, to, to work with someone like that. Um, and so you know that you're walking into a, a someone that's a master at their craft. Mm-hmm. And I, always been a fan of her work and so getting but obviously when you first get in all you want to all you kind of want to do is get Catherine's approval right, <laughs> yeah. she, she um she kind of took she's just such a she's so seamless in what she does that you know that no matter what happens it's gonna it's gonna turn out good she's kind of a got a great um uh visionary for working with her DPs and the way that she shoots is so unique that um, it was an experience that I hadn't really been a part of yet. That is so great. Now, if you had to choose, what did you enjoy most about filming Detroit? I'd say the cast. Um, we definitely, I definitely walked in a bit late, um, but I was there for a good length of time in the cast um, through, I'd say through, you know, love and trust that we decided, okay, if we're going to do this, we got to really do this. Um, yeah. So the cast was automatically just completely committed to to go where we need to go because it's 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 scary. It's scary when you're playing something real. It's scary when it's that subject matter. It's um, you want to go home and have a have a glass of whiskey, and not hate yourself. Yeah. Um, but you knew that you knew that you knew that the outcome and the message is so important that that's kind of why it's your duty to go there. But I'd say most enjoyable thing is definitely um the cast and that experience with such a committed crew you know Mm -hmm. yeah i think with those kind of projects and dealing with such a i guess in a way controversial subject matter in that case you really have to cling to the fact that you're you're presenting a message that needs to be said and presenting a story that needs to be told so i think that's the way that you can get through a project as difficult as that as far as content so, well, focusing more on your recent work in film, I'd love to talk about Burden. And the film is about a Ku Klux Klansman, uh, Mike Mer- Burden, who opens the Redneck Shop and KKK Museum in historic Lawrence, South Carolina. When Mike falls in love with a single mom, under her influence, he quits the Klan and is taken in by an African-American reverend. Now, speaking about controversial here, uh, how did you hear about the film Burden? Um, I had actually... Just uh, had auditioned for it while I was shooting Detroit. Or oh the wow! Day, no, the, actually, the day after I shot, like the day I wrapped, I flew into Los Angeles and read this script. Um, so I was already coming off. Um, it kind of an <laughs> immense experience. I remember reading with with the director Andrew Heckler, and and I remember him saying, "It's like, yeah, I just got. I read the piece, and at first I looked at it and I was like, I don't know if I want to do another one of these pieces. Yeah, um, but." the character was so interesting and I just kind of felt like kind of felt like I could do something with this with this character um, 
that that was different than it was different than Detroit, and so I felt like okay, let me let me give it let me just give my interpretation of what I think I can do, and um, the director had asked me so I said yeah I just got this project so what, what did you get off I said just got this project with um Catherine I said what, what was it about and I said it's a racial piece, and we both just kind of took a sigh like sure that this is something you want to go do and and so. Um, that's that's what had happened, and then I just said, "All right, let me let me try some different things with this character." When I was in the audition, and and um, and then that's how I ended up getting the role and going on that journey. Wow! So, what can you tell the audience about your character Clint in the movie Burden? Um, well, I like the, the the point of coming on that project was the the experience the experience of Detroit and seeing how important um, a message is, how important mm-hmm. it is to communicate that, and what an opportunity is to do with something like film, where you can reach you can reach audience in a, in a, I could say, a peaceful way, that jumping into this film, like I said, okay, I knew nothing about the Klan. So I, I figured that I would have to do, uh, again, coming into this project, uh, the most committed cast, the committed cast I... I ever like it was just from day one. Everyone um, had to embody kind of a you know a darker place. Oh yeah. And uh, so I, I tried to do some research on on the clan. Um, so I done a little bit about about that of maybe figuring out you know how people basically hide behind hate and mm. kind of use hate as a as a as a sense of identity. And how the story is the story is obviously about how it changes through love, um, and how change change is possible, change is necessary. So I, I you know didn't understand and, and and so I researched that a little bit, um, but then really wanted to humanize humanize the people too. So I had I had from day one been like and, and you're playing people from that from from the south and so from I think it takes place in South Carolina there's yeah. always a challenge of not making them cartoonish in a way because they're a bit of outlandish people and I know that from growing up with it but they're also they're also real so there's a there's definitely a dance of making these people making these people real um, and again it was it was a head-on experience that we all undertook uh, because we knew that that the story was bigger than us and that the message was so important as we know that looking last year at the riots. Yeah. Um, when I saw that on TV, I was immediately taken back to this film. It's like, yeah, people say, say that times have changed, but they really, they really haven't as much as I think we'd like to think they have. Unfortunately. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and speaking on the times of change and going on that, I had actually seen a really interesting interview uh, with Heckler, and he had mentioned that you guys were filming in Georgia, and you guys had the actual set piece for the Redneck Shop and KKK Museum, and he had mentioned that there were actually people, he got a phone call one evening saying that he needed to show up to set because there were people actually going in and trying to buy things from the shop. Yeah. So I'm not sure if you had heard about that or not. Oh yeah, yeah, I'd heard about that. Um, yeah, there were people. It, we we shot in areas and and there was 
there were people who were excited about a clan shop being open. Oh that's, my gosh. That's, yeah. And that's real, you know, that not to, not to drag it down, but I do think it's important. There's an actor named uh, Dexter Darden, um, who I, is this great actor who I acted with. And when you do, when you do these scenes with these, with uh, a cast like that, you play such a visceral emotion that's, you need someone like Dex, if I'm acting with him, that he's gone through. It's very much a sense of trust you have to build with that actor. Oh my gosh! And so, yeah. when we do these, uh, when we're acting these scenes, he he had mentioned that he was doing a scene in there were an actual truck uh, that was with people with with the with the um, flags and everything on the truck, and they they had basically. Um, told told them to go home that this is not where they belong and to go home oh my god and that really happened too so it was again as, as Hecker says the the people in the town not to there were obviously these wonderful people that welcomed us into the town yeah um, not to discredit that at all but it was there's also that side of of the of america that's there that was happening while we were there and so um yeah, there, there were people that came in the clan shop to actually buy some. There's actually a clan shop open, I believe it's in Kennesaw, that I went to to see what it was like mm-hmm. in the clan shop. And um, I was there for a bit and was like, okay, I think I've got to get, to get out <laughs> Only, of here. Yeah, right, just stepping I, in. Yeah. yeah, before I just get too too upset and too angry at, at, at that. Yeah, and I think it's just such an interesting experience that you had there because you're coming off of a film that took place in the 60s, right? So again, that makes a little bit more sense at, given the times that there were these incidents going on within Detroit. However, dealing with subject matter that's definitely more recent, and then even while you're filming dealing with that, I mean, I can't even imagine how, I would say, eye-opening it was. The best way yeah, of I'd saying like that. To, I'd like to say that, um, you know, one of the things I think people use as a naive safeguard is to say, oh, that happened in the 60s and things have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure people in the 90s say, oh, that happened in the 60s, things have changed. And now we can say, oh, that happened in the 90s, things have changed. And I think it's, um, if you look at history, we can always look back and say that's a distant, that's, a, that's in the distance and it doesn't happen. And, um, but as we know that it, that's just that's that's a privilege I think you can have to say, yeah. Um, and I think that I think it's a, it's important people to realize, you know, for myself, um, just to listen and realize and learn, and that if you can the naivety that that I even had in going through these projects and and having my eyes open that that if you can communicate that oh, just a, like a drop of that to people that otherwise don't have to look at issues like that I would say is is kind of why you do movies like this so I think that um, if people could open up a bit more instead of shutting out that and because it's obviously really happening and you can you can always go back and say oh well it's that time or it's that time you can always do that Um, or you could accept the fact that there's there's, there's people that want to say something, so listen. 
Yeah, I think and given the reception that Burden received at Sundance, I think people are definitely open to having their eyes open in a way, you know, like it seems like it definitely is getting the message across and hopefully it will upon its release. Um, now, a quick question I have getting back to the actual film itself. What was it like working with a first time director like Andrew Heckler? Well, uh, it wasn't only a first time director, the director that had this project for 20 years. Yeah. So, um, and Robbie Brenner, the producer, had been on board for, had had this in her hands for 20, 15 years as well. So it was um, such a personal passion project for Andrew. Uh, if, like you could just jump in that world with him because he that's what he that's what he wanted to do with your heart so uh, having that and having him at uh, first he was he was great in the fact that he was this is this is you know obviously he's got his vision and he's a great captain but he's also open to saying if you're gonna go all in I want to see what you have to bring too so that was that was great that was a great opportunity and i think important for a project like this to have you know definitely yeah i'm excited to see where his career goes from this movie I've, obviously i mean given how it's you know being handled in the reception i can only imagine up and i'm really excited to see what other projects he takes on given that this was such a passionate project if he goes and stays in that direction yeah so. it was great it was great to see the audience re it's always scary watching a film like this with an audience at first you, yeah, you just don't know. <laughs> you kind of like looking around. <laughs> Is this gonna? Eh, how are people gonna react to this? And it's it's just so great to, that people react with such love and open arms to the film. You know, I love that. Now another film you were involved in uh, just recently uh, that premiered was Twelve Strong: The Declassified True Story of the Horse Soldiers. The film tells the story of the first Special Forces team deployed to Afghanistan after 9/11. Under the leadership of a new captain, the team must work with an Afghan warlord to take down the Taliban. How did you land the role of Pat Essex, and what was the audition process like? Um, I had worked. Linda Brockheimer had come on board above suspicion. And so I'd met uh, Jerry through that. Okay. And so that's kind of how it happened of me coming in for an audition with Jerry. And um, um, so it was it was while I was shooting Burden, um, I'd gotten that project. And the film's based on Doug Stanton's nonfiction book, Horse Soldiers. What was it like being involved in a story that up until 2005 was deemed classified? Well, obviously, because it's declassified, I knew nothing about it. Yeah. Um, but we all know about 9-11. We all True. know where we're at, and we know what we were doing, and we know anyone can relate to that. Um, I'll tell you that uh, the coolest part about having that, doing that story is having the real guys there. Definitely. Um, and having the real... At first, you automatically come in and go, okay, I got I to... I gotta like actually look like a, like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't have any experience in the military, so I have to do that to the duty first. And then you realize, then then you meet the guys, the, the real men, um, who've done this mission. And that was so cool because they were, they were just um, the stories, and they were they were there. I think you know when we had started, they had they had uh, the the brotherhood that had that had happened between the men doing that because these guys basically had no idea what they were doing when, yeah. they, when they landed. It was all figured out on the fly. Um, 
and that includes riding a horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and in the film, it appears that all the cast members, including yourself, truly know how to operate their equipment and move like the soldiers they were portraying, as you had mentioned, having to learn that. Did you guys receive any form of weapons training for the film or go through kind of a mock boot camp? Yeah, we had we had showed up two weeks earlier to do horse training and weapons training. Okay. So we had gone we had gone through some training every day for that. Now, something else I found rather fascinating is the fact that the audience could never really tell when the cast wasn't riding horses. So I guess the question there is, how much actual horseback riding did you have to do in the film? This is kind of funny because I grew up riding horses in Texas, mm-hmm. and my character. Um, Pat Essex actually uh, in the film rode, rode the least amount in the film <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of was there trying to help out as much as I could with that but um, I actually didn't have to do as much horseback riding as the other guys I don't think I fired my gun off the horse once oh wow yeah it's such an interesting new challenge as an actor is like i actually know how to do this but now i have to pretend like i'm new to this whole concept right even though... right maybe maybe i showed up knowing i was doing too much so they're like yeah no, you can't you can't write as much but um the rest of the actors um it they, they were all great they were all great and we had enough we had enough training that i that we, we were all they all kind of knew what we were doing yeah <laughs> which is kind of where they were at Perfect. Yeah, I mean, again, it's a new concept for even the soldiers that were in the actual mission themselves. So definitely relatable. What was your experience like in working with Chris Hemsworth as the captain of your unit? Um, Chris is just a great leader of a guy anyways. Um, Mm -hmm. He's just so open and open and 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 a guy that you want to kind of follow anyways. When he when he walks you something, you're like, yeah, no, I'll follow you through that. Um, yeah. and so he really, he really set the tone for a good chemistry, uh, on set, which, which happened pretty quickly between all of us. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, can be told at least through the Instagram photos and everything. It seemed like you guys were enjoying yourself on set, that there was at least a good camaraderie there. Uh, and speaking on that, you had mentioned the brotherhood that the soldiers themselves kind of formed in being through that mission. Was there any sort of camaraderie between you and the other cast outside of the, outside of filming? that happened from that project. Oh, sure. Um, again, I'd say even just through circumstances, we were up in, in Albuquerque, and uh, brother, it was cold, <laughs> and, and it was some pretty difficult, borderline, miserable situations uh, as far as the, the climate. So just going through that experience with guys, um, I think on the second day of shooting, they threw some of us in a, in a, in a, in a river. And so going, just going through that, just going through those, and we didn't, you know, we went all the way, never, we had our guns all the time. We never really sat down. There was no, there was no, I'd say, actor treatment for us Yeah. Um, on this. And so just, just when you do that with, with anyone, you kind of have this bond because, and we were all up for it too. There was there was no, I don't want. It was all we were all there, 100 ready to go, uh, situation. But yeah, through that, of course, you get to have you know at the end of the day have a have a beer with the guy and and um, and get to know them. So yeah, we all bonded in that experience for sure. And it's all you know. You need you need that. You need that through movies like this. 
need to be able to laugh with each other at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. What was one of your favorite moments to come out of making 12 Strong? The moment is probably the, being able to do uh, the, the high-end battle scenes. I had never done that as an actor. Um, and those were... We had done a lot of them later on in the shoot. There's a big part of the film where it's um, the guys are planning to go and there's there's character development and things like that. So towards the end of the shoot, we were like, okay, now we get to do kind of the, the fun stuff. Um, yeah. And having that, I mean, you're, you're a kid. You're a kid playing those situations. You know, not that I, <laughs> not that I uh, was that hungry for a, a gun, but it was getting to play those situations and, and um, as an actor, it, man, it is, it is, it is great. You're always too, a little too excited for me when you come in. Mm-hmm. Um, but to have, to have something like a Jerry Bruckheimer, Jerry Bruckheimer film and, and have the, the, the set and the, the extra explosions and using, using the, 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 the guns and the training and all of that, that was, that was probably my favorite moment. Um, because you got to, that's the most visceral, uh, closest to an experience, the real life experience that you can get. And anytime, ha- anytime having that as an actor is great. Oh yeah. Well, and I think that was one of the things that I took away from seeing the film was I'm like in a, in an era where there's so much green screen going on now, as far as set pieces and studios, uh, like green screen studios, it was crazy to watch that film. I'm like, it was really hard to draw that line. I mean, I'm a visual effects artist myself, so I, I always go into a film nitpicking. It's hard not to do that. I try to turn it off. But in this film, it was hard to tell like where the visual effects were and where the practical effects were because, as you had mentioned, you have the explosions going off. You have the actual guns on set as well. And it's just a crazy set of chaos, essentially, in some of those later end pieces in the film. Yeah, um, in I would say that I don't. I can't tell either. <laughs> yeah. Even watching the film, and most of the stuff is was done there, and um, and so yeah, I'm sure. Cause I'm sure you can you can appreciate that too. Um, oh yeah. You're just engulfed in that world, and it's funny. You kind of go even go through the the um, even a bit of like nervousness going through that, going, oh man, I can't screw this one up. But yeah. <laughs> um, there's only one. There's only, they can only do this so many times. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, touching on that, that's got to be really nerve wracking, like you mentioned to I me, mean, because with all the setup that's involved in doing something practically, again, it's a benefit you have in doing visual effects or doing post work is they can do it as many times and make it look great. But when you're doing it practically, there, like you said, there's only so many ways they can do, or so many times they can do it. Yeah, and I think that again comes with the cast. And once we got there, we were so close. You know, a lot of my stuff uh, was also with an actor named Trevante Rhodes, and and, um, and so uh, Trevante and a lot of our uh, our group was together. Austin Stoll, Jack Casey, and we got to come up with stuff. Um, we had such a uh, a good uh, relationship that we go, okay, we got one shot. Maybe we can try this, 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 this in here, and, and make that as seamless as we can. You know. Definitely. Do you see yourself taking on more military roles in the future, having done this film? Um, I don't know. I like to do things that challenge me. Okay. So that was definitely a challenge that I'd like to do again sometime. Um, but 
whether it's the character or something like a more character-driven piece or something like action, um, I, I just I, I want to do you know roles that you can find something in to where I don't think I don't think being in a um, as a brand of an actor really interests me as much. Yeah. Um, but I think if there's a challenge in, to do a piece, which this obviously was, then yeah, I think it's it's always it's always fun if you're exploring while you're doing something at the same time, you know. Exactly, and it always keeps it interesting for you as an actor not to continue to take on similar roles because, like you said, it gives you that challenge. It so. gives me the challenge, and I like to when I do it. I like to do it. I don't. I like to go all in when I do projects. So um, there's always something to like learning things like that. Now, to close the interview, I'd love to know, what are some upcoming projects of yours that you're most excited? You had mentioned Above Suspicion. Uh, that's going to be coming out soon. Yeah, I think that's going to come out maybe in August. We shot that last year, too. Um, and that's another um, true story about the first FBI agent to be convicted of murder. Wow. Um, and so that's I'm looking forward to that coming out. And right now, I'm, I'm in L.A., just kind of taking my time and, and figuring out which piece I want to do next. Definitely. Well, thanks so much for joining me on the show today, Austin. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Well, that's the end of episode 10 of the Film Revere podcast. Be sure to show your support for the FR podcast by leaving a review on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you happen to listen to the show. Another great way to show your support is by becoming a Film Revere Patreon at patreon.com slash filmrevered. Also, be sure to check out Audible and get yourself a free 30-day trial as well as a free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. If you enjoy the show and would like to ask a question for the podcast, feel free to email me at filmrevered at gmail.com. Thanks again from all of us here at Film Revered. Have a great week.